Today's scripture passage is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. It can be found on page 839 in the Pew Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's word. A lamp under a basket. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The parable of the seed growing. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come the parable of the mustard seed. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Oh, wait. This is God's word. Life is complex and confusing. Who can make sense of it? It consists of the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful. It's comprised of unimaginable atrocities and incomprehensible sacrifices. There are those fueled by hate and those by love. And it seems to be both of them in each of us. Life is filled with despair and hope, happiness and heartache. Life appears to be a tangled mess of threads. But the same is true of an embroidery. On one side, it appears to be an assortment of randomly tangled threads. But you turn it over and you'll see a meticulously woven, stunning work of art. Life seems to be made up of a jumble of tangled threads when in reality, God is meticulously working to create a masterpiece. Which side we see depends upon whether we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Let's pray. Our Father, do open our eyes today. Do give us ears to hear. Lead us, guide us to see what you want us to see, to see the splendor and the beauty of your masterpiece of life. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we heard the parable of the seeds and the fourth seed produced great 
fruit. Our passage builds on that by teaching us how we can have fruitful lives by seeing and understanding what God is doing in life, by making sense of life itself. You see, life is baffling, and we can be pessimistic about ever making sense of it. And it appeared that Jesus was giving little help by the fact that he spoke in parables and then said he spoke in parables that they may see but not perceive, and they may hear but not understand. But we do get a ray of hope when Jesus adds, but he who has ears, let him hear. See, there is the possibility of seeing life as God has intended it to be, to see the upper side of his mosaic. We will be able to, if we open our ears to hear Jesus, our passage is going to show us how to listen to him. It starts with simply hearing his revelation, but it's more than hearing with our ears. It's hearing with our hearts. It is accepting the truth of what Jesus says. But we accept the truth of Jesus by opening our hearts to him instead of closing them. And then we gain a, a greater understanding of the vista of life itself when we begin to comprehend the kingdom of God. And it comes all to fruition when we interpret life through Jesus himself. So this morning, we are going to listen to God's revelation, open our hearts to Jesus, view life through God's kingdom and interpret life through Jesus. So that's listen to the revelation, open our hearts to Jesus, view life through God's kingdom, interpret life through Jesus. Listen to God's revelation. See, confusion reigns because our minds are darkened. We interpret life from a myopic egocentric perspective. If life works for us, life is good. If life doesn't work for us, then life is bad. Now, our view of life is complicated by the fact that each generation only sees a stitch of life. And none of us sees the complete picture that will be woven. Even God's revelation is unfolded a book at a time leaving generations with only a handful of the puzzle pieces of life, never being able to put them together, but always enough to live by. All of this changed with the arrival of Jesus. As John said in his first chapter, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light of understanding broke through the darkness of confusion with Jesus' coming and with the advent of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is alluding to in verses 21 to 23. He is going to give a revelation. 
Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. In these verses, Jesus announced his intention to make the kingdom of God known and understood. The kingdom, which will give us a more complete history of life. The kingdom, which will help us to make sense of our world. God's revelation about his kingdom and the gospel which ushers it in was wrapped in mystery in the Old Testament. Prophets had searched and inquired about when it would be only to be informed that it wouldn't come in their generation because it comes with Jesus. And so we have an understanding through Jesus' revelation. See, God never intended the truth of his his kingdom to be hidden forever. Jesus put it on a lampstand for us to see and its truth is understood by those who hear. It remains hidden to those who close their ears. We need to first listen to God's revelation, but with ears to hear. So how, how do we get ears to hear? By hearing and accepting God's revelation. And our acceptance of his revelation depends on our disposition towards Jesus, whether or not we have open hearts to Christ. Well, anyone who's heard the gospel or has scriptures available is privy to God's truth and the possibility of seeing the upside of God's mosaic, of, excuse me, of his embroidery. The difference between those who understand and those who don't is dependent upon what we hear with our is not dependent on what we hear with our ears. It's dependent on our disposition toward Jesus. Look at the screen. What do you see? What's that sentence say? What does it say? God is nowhere? God is now here? Okay, okay. You, you see two opposite, I mean, we're hearing two opposite presentations of this. God is nowhere or God is now here? Now, I'm not going to judge you by how you read that. <laughs> it's simply how your eyes first fell on those words. However, it is true those are two dispositions that people have. That's two different ways to view life. There are those who are, God is nowhere, and there are those who is, God is now here, and that will make a difference to which side of God's embroidery we see. In the context of this passage, it isn't so much, is God now here, or is he nowhere? It's, is Jesus a blasphemer? Or is he God? People who saw the exact same miracles drew opposite conclusions about him. The scribes saw the miracles and said, it's a work of Satan through Jesus. And others, the disciples, 
saw those miracles and said, they are the work of God pointing to Jesus as Messiah and Lord. It's all, if you've opened your heart to Jesus or you've closed your ears to him. And that's what Jesus is saying in verses 24 and 25. Pay attention to what you hear, hear the revelation, with the measure you use, with the disposition toward Jesus you have, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. The measure we use speaks of the, how we measure Jesus' words. When we open our hearts to Christ, we accept his words, our understanding will grow and grow and it'll multiply. The more openness we have to Christ's word, the more we will treasure it, the more we will invest ourselves in it, and this will lead to a deeper and broader understanding of life. We'll see more and more the beauty of God's embroidery. On the other hand, those who stop paying attention to Christ are going to lose any understanding they once had and their eyes are going to turn to the underside of life. Our disposition toward, that, toward Christ determines whether we have ears to hear or not. So after stressing the importance of our disposition toward his words, Jesus reveals another key to our understanding, the kingdom of God. It opens the vistas of life showing us that God is leading history towards a glorious end. You know, some stories we read in novels turn in the final chapter. Someone we thought was a villain turns out to be a hero. An event that seemed to be caused misery actually saved lives. Anyone who watches sporting events realizes that your whole feeling about a game is going to change in those last plays. When Malcolm Butler intercepts the pass at the goal line, our view of that game is forever changed. That's the same about understanding the culmination of history with the kingdom of God. Our belief about the last chapter of history will change the way we see life. If we believe life's going to continue as it is and then it ends when the sun burns out, then we're going to have a twisted jumble of tangled threads. That's the way we'll see life. But if we believe that God's, that life ends or history ends with God bringing his kingdom fixing every semblance of brokenness, healing every hurt and pain, bringing life as God designed it to be, then we can, be, we can see that life is God's masterpiece. Amen. Seeing the promises of God's kingdom through the eyes of faith will help us see the upside of God's embroidery. But Jesus came to a people who had complete misunderstanding of the kingdom. They believed it was going to burst on the scene with Messiah. And all defeats would turn to victory. And all the 
losses would turn to victory and every hurt would go away. All the wrong would be turned good. But that's not how the kingdom is going to break in. Jesus corrects the misunderstanding by presenting two parables. By doing it, he lays the foundation of our understanding of that kingdom. The first parable, he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He gives a pair of lessons in this parable of the seeds. Don't judge by what you see today. The kingdom's going to come gradually. The seed of it is planted under the soil and you'd see nothing but dirt. But then the blade peeks through and it grows and, and the ear appears and then the full grain inside that ear. So God's kingdom will hardly be noticeable as it breaks into the world. But gradually we'll see more and more of it as it comes to fruition. The second lesson is that we can trust that God is building his kingdom despite what we see. See, it's because we don't build his kingdom, God ushers it in. The only quality of the farmer in our story is that he goes to sleep and wakes up over and over and over again. And he doesn't know how, how it's growing. So we aren't the ones who produce the kingdom. It's going to be produced by God. Now, we are going to work for the kingdom. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, No, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the growth. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's, it's about God. God gives the growth. Since the kingdom is dependent on God and not on us, we can be assured that it will come to fruition. Jesus added another parable. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus' point should be clear to anyone who has ears to hear. The kingdom of God will start small, but don't judge it by its smallness because it is going to be large and serve many. It starts small with Jesus and a few disciples, but it grows and grows into a great work of God. Now, we live 2,000 years after Jesus planted that mustard seed. And it has grown to reach and to transform the world. The birds in the, uh, the, in the parable represent the inclusion of the Gentiles, which represents how the kingdom of God reaches all ethnicities, races, and nations. And we see this today 
but we don't sing the kingdom in the fullness of its glory. And that's because while it's here now, it is still not yet. There's a dual aspect to God's kingdom. That which entered history with Jesus' first coming and the culmination of the kingdom at the end of history with Jesus' second coming. It's here now in the ministry of the Holy Spirit through us, through Christ's church. As we share the gospel of Christ that brings eternal life to many, as we minister to the needs of the brokenness around us, and as we become more like Christ. The kingdom is not yet in that the full promises of the kingdom of no more disease, wars, or death, where the curse of sin is reversed and humanity is brought into a new Eden where human life flourishes and human cultures thrive, is still future. But if we, through faith, can see the culmination of the kingdom, we'll begin to interpret, see life in a whole different way. In the final chapter of history, God's kingdom will become all that has been promised. And that should change how we look at each chapter of life in which we live. Although Jesus' parables were simple and down-to-earth, even his disciples were confused by them. Reason is, they didn't fit any category of their minds. They were thinking it was going to break through. They were thinking Jesus was going to conquer Rome. They didn't have a category of it growing slowly and being coming in, in two stages. So Jesus has to explain the meaning. We see that in verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke to the, the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. We're no different from the disciples. We need Jesus to interpret everything for us, all of Scripture and all of life. They needed Jesus to explain every parable and all the Scripture. After his resurrection, he met two individuals on the road to Emmaus, who were bewildered by the events of the day. And we read, And Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. Later that same day, he did the same with the other disciples. Jesus showed them how all of scripture speaks of him. He makes the same point with the religious leaders in John chapter 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You have a negative disposition toward me, and that is why you can't See, the script, that scripture is about me. They do not have ears to hear. But Jesus 
is the fulfillment of all scripture. They miss life when they miss that. We will too. We need to interpret life through Jesus. Think of him as the reverse of a shredding machine. You might put a piece of paper that has a beautiful picture in that shredding machine. It makes its way through the machine and you have just a bunch of streams of paper that don't make any sense at all. But take a, take a video of that and run it backwards. And what you see is all these strips of paper go up through this machine and come out a beautiful picture. Well, that's who Jesus is. If we take all the strips of life that don't seem to make any sense, but bring them through Jesus, we'll begin to see the beautiful peace that God is creating in life. Jesus puts all of Scripture together. We read about Adam and Eve and his sin that brought a curse that's warped our world. But when we look at Jesus, we see the second Adam who took that curse upon himself so that he could reform the world. The Jewish people were God's chosen people as the seed of Abraham to be a blessing to the world and to bring light to the world. But they failed time and time again. We now understand that Jesus is the true Israel who succeeded where they failed. He is God's blessing to the world. He is the light of the world. The law of God was given to Moses and it laid a heavy burden on all of humanity until Jesus came and he provided forgiveness for all the laws that were broken and he offered the freedom of life found by living by the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. The sacrificial system was laid out and repeated over and over and over again, seemingly to bring forgiveness, until we discover that it points to the sacrificial death of Christ for us, so that we can be forgiven once and for all and be reconciled to God, not by works, but by faith in him. Jesus puts all of life together. John 1.1 opens, In the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. See, that Greek word Lagos, we get our word logic. Logic helps us make sense of life. Well, Jesus is that Lagos. He is the Lagos. The logic that makes ultimate sense of life. So we can ask, how can a loving God allow such suffering and evil? And Jesus answers, I am so heartbroken over the condition of the world that I came to die so that one day all suffering and evil will be extinguished. We ask, is God really there for us? Is he lovingly involved in our lives? And Jesus answers, I put aside my divine glory to walk alongside humanity to die for our, your sins. Does that not express the depth of God's loving involvement? 
we ask, does God care about my pain? Jesus answers, I empathize with every hurt and every pain, for I have been tempted and suffered in every way that you have. We ask, why is there so much tribulation in life? And Jesus says, it comes to form you into my image, the image of God that you were meant to be. We ask, why death? And Jesus answers, I took the sting of death so that you might be resurrected and given a glorious eternal life. We ask, but, but how should I live? And Jesus answers, follow me, imitate me, for I have imaged the Father as you were meant to. We can go on with question after question and discover that Jesus has the answer, that Jesus is the answer. There's a church in South Natick that has a sign that reads, we don't have all the answers, but we love the questions. You know, we should appreciate their humility and their honesty. Every church should be as humble and as authentic. Yet, our passage shows us that there should be one more sentence added. Jesus does have all the answers. He will begin to make sense of life, sense of the twisted threads, if we listen to his word, open our heart to him, view life through his kingdom, and interpret life through him. After all, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your revelation. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your spirit that is building the kingdom even today through us. May we be those who plant and water and harvest. Lord, may we live in light of your ultimate kingdom where every pain, every hurt will be vanquished so that we might see the masterpiece of your mosaic of life. Amen.